That introduction to Daniel 7, as most of you know, we've been working through the book of Daniel Sunday mornings. The first six chapters of Daniel contain accounts of faith and are certain to inspire and challenge us all, whereas the last six chapters are filled with all sorts of visions that can be a challenge even to the most advanced Bible scholars. They are very prophetic chapters and will be a great challenge for those who are preaching here as we try and open them up and and help our understanding and encourage our faith. And as Raj said, he seems to have managed to avoid most of them. So, bless you. Yeah, he's preaching in July. I'm sure it's a difficult one. I will make sure it is. Um, First, though, an apology. Um, Three weeks ago, when I I preached from Daniel 4, if you remember that, I said that King Nebuchadnezzar remained arrogant even after the fulfillment of his dream, where he was told that he was... Uh, he, he was going to be driven away from people and he would eat like grass. His body would be drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And then it says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. I'm sure you remember that vividly. Um, well, at that point, what I said was that maybe he learned his lesson at last, but actually when you read on into the next chapter, verses 22, 23, we find that he must have only learned it for a short time uh, because he seemed to be arrogant again. Well, actually, when I I prepared that, I was in somewhat of a rush, and I'd misread chapter 5. In chapter 5, actually, it's all about Nebuchadnezzar's son uh, or descendant who's called Belshazzar. So I I withdraw that. I, I maligned the man. I think it likely that Nebuchadnezzar did learn his lesson, and his last lived out his last days trusting God. So praise the Lord. Okay, I'm sure that's helpful. Um, but read it. Have a read. It's how God interacts with people. Amazing story. So let's get to chapter 7. Um, we get to the more difficult part now. It's quite a long reading. We're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, it should be on the screen if I've managed to do it all right. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. It had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts. It had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up from among them. And, the three of the first, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, the thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. 
The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will arise from the earth, but the, whole, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than all the others, and had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment and favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a, is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the early one, earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Well, hallelujah. Do you enjoy that? <laughs> that's, that's a, that's, it, it's fine, but it's, it stops there. And now I'm going to preach from it. So I've, uh, to try and help work our way through, I've given myself three points. The context, the understanding, uh, sorry, the context, our understanding, and our confidence. So the context, it, it would seem that some of the events God reveals to Daniel in this dream have already happened uh, in his context, and, and some are still in the future. That's probably. All of this, you understand, is uh, our, our view of, of these things. But the thing about prophecy, let me just explain. The thing about Bible prophecy, it, it always has a now application, okay? 
but often it has a, an, another application later on, later on in history. It's a strange thing, but it often has a, a, a now working out, sometimes a medium working out, sometimes an end time working out. And we, we don't understand all of that. So I'm trying to just give you the, what we do understand as best we can. Okay? It's, worth, uh, it's also worth noting that chapters 7 to 12 uh, of Daniel are a record of Daniel's dreams and visions and do not follow on chronologically from chapter 6. Be nice to think it all goes like that, but actually, no, it, it, it's like starting again and putting all his dreams together, and now we start working through his dreams. Before that, he was interpreting other people's dreams, but now he's, he's telling you his dreams. There seems to be a, a tie-up uh, between chapters 2 and chapter 7. In chapter 2, if again, I'm sure you remember vividly, um, in chapter 2, Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that dream seems to reveal that there were going to be four kingdoms throughout history, followed by the coming of Jesus and the bringing in of his kingdom. That coming of God's kingdom on the earth started through the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus uh, and the ascension of Jesus. And we, the church, continue that ministry of bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. But that kingdom will only fully come when Jesus returns. In chapter 7... It looks like Daniel and his dream is seeing again these four kingdoms that were in chapter 2. These four kingdoms are represented by a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a terrifying beast with large iron teeth with ten horns and a little horn. And then God king, God's kingdom comes to the earth after that. So let's get to our understanding. What's the interpretation? How do we understand? So the general interpretation, I've, I've done a bit of reading for this um, I knew some of it, but I, I, I thought best to research just to make sure I'm not off the wall. So this is the preferred understanding of this. The four winds represent the power of God. The sea represents the nation of the earth. The lion with eagle's wings represents Babylon. The national symbol of Babylon was a winged lion. And the lion is the king of the beasts and the eagle is the king of the birds a fitting description for the most powerful kingdom on the earth. The dream is specifically referring to Nebuchadnezzar's period of insanity when he talks about the, wing, about the, wings, when it talks about the wings being plucked off and given the heart of a man. Of course, at, at, at that time, uh, the time Daniel receives the vision, Babylon was the current world empire and Nebuchadnezzar would have already had his period of insanity. So this is speaking after the event. This is telling, given a context for Daniel to understand. But the rest of his dream is interpreted in the future. So the next beast is a bear. It represents the Medo-Persian Empire. And the fact that the bear was raised on one side symbolizes that the Persians would be stronger than the Medes. The three ribs in the bear's mouth are the three kingdoms that they conquered. They conquered Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. And the command was given to devour much flesh, and the Medo-Persian Empire did manage to conquer and subdue a great many people. Anybody know where Lydia is? It's, it's modern-day Turkey. Okay? Just so, so you know. So it's, it's Turkey, Babylon, and Egypt. The Medo-Persian Empire was powerful like a bear and very ferocious, but the bear's not as... Majestic and glorious as an animal as the lion. 
So the Medo-Persian Empire was not as majestic and glorious as the Babylonian Empire. Also, the bear is not as swift an animal as the lion. And this was true of the Medo-Persian Empire. Their army didn't move or conquer other nations very swiftly, although they were brutal. Now we come to the leopard with four wings and four heads. Any idea who this represents? Greek, excellent. This represents the Greek Empire. Okay, Alexander the Great was emperor of the Greek Empire. His army moved with great speed and agility like a winged leopard as they conquered the then known world. Now when Alexander the Great died in 323 BC, his empire was divided between his four generals. The generals are represented by the four heads. The first, General Ptolemy, took control of Egypt and the surrounding territories. The second, General Seleucius, controlled Syria, Babylon, and the lands to the east. Then you have General uh, Lysimachus, was given Thrace and the surrounding territories, while General Cassander was given Macedonia and Greece itself. This is just what... This is right. This is history, okay. But what you have is the four, these four heads, these four generals took over Alexander the Great's Greek Empire. Then we come to the fourth beast, which represents the Roman Empire. The iron teeth corresponds to the iron legs in Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Nebuchadnezzar's statue. When the Romans came to to power, they crushed or wiped out all the governments in their way. They were brutal. Uh, They're the ones who brought crucifixion and they crucified tens of thousands of people. They crucified people down street after street after street. It was a terrible... The Romans were really brutal and uh, dominated everyone, wiped out people. Uh, But it's likely that the ten horns are kings or leaders that did or will arise from this fourth kingdom. There could be emperors who ruled during the first century A.D., when the church was being established, um, we don't know really. The little horn that will arise is different. It seems that it or he is anti-God, anti-Christ. He speaks against God and he persecutes the church. Interestingly, we are told that his intention is to change the times and the law. Very interesting that anything that sets itself up and speaks against God always wants to change God's creation ordinances. I could develop that. I won't develop it very far. But if you look, when governments are changing that which is common to the law of God, or it says in, in Romans, woe to those who call evil good, when we start changing the values and changing the times and seasons and changing God's creation ordinance, we are, we are, no, we are dealing with something that is anti-Christ. Okay? And we are living in those days today. It could be that this uh, little horn is referring to the Roman Emperor Domitian, who persecuted the church dreadfully, but equally it could be referring to the Antichrist spoken of in Revelation, or even both, just to confuse your thinking. Okay? I'm sure Raj should have done this one, really. He enjoyed it. But we're going to look into this in much more detail as we go through the rest of the chapters of Daniel. Who's on next? I'm not sure who's got the thing. So, Raj has got the next one. <laughs> I think, yeah, in honor of preferring one another, suddenly. Okay. But then I come to our confidence. 
So you can look at, you can listen to Bible prophecy and you can, people go spinning off. It means this, it means that, it means many things. We must not go beyond what the Bible says. We, we, we have whole, in Christian circles, we have whole people going down one way and they make presumption after presumption after presumption. We must not go beyond what the Bible says. We, we, we hold it lightly. We interpret it with wisdom and by the Spirit, but we hold it lightly because there's mysteries involved in, in prophecy in terms of timing, unpacking, and all those sort of things. But our confidence... We're still a confident people. We're not a confused people. We're not people who are thinking, well, it's all a mystery, I don't know. Because right now, what we come to after those four kingdoms, we come to this, we start to look at the final kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. This final kingdom, the coming of God's kingdom to the earth. That's exciting. Interesting, this morning, do you remember when Jesus was asked by the disciples if he would teach them to pray, how he responded? We've had someone come and read it this morning. I thought that was amazing. By the way, great, great worship leading this morning. Great songs. Great keyboard playing. Where, where's, where's David? I'm a keyboard fan, by the way, but I, I just thought it was glorious this morning. Wasn't that glorious? See, our focus on him, his greatness, his majesty, his glory. So thank you. It's wonderful. And then, then we get read to us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You see, these first two phrases of that prayer that Jesus tells us, this is how you pray, what do they tell us? They speak to us about God, and they speak to us about his purposes. It's very simple. It speaks to us about God and his purposes, because why would Jesus tell us to pray any other way? And so what you do is, our Father in heaven, hallowed or most holy be or is your name. That's how it starts. Wow! You are always worthy of praise. You are magnificent. You are our God. You are most holy. There is none like you. We declare your majesty. We sing. We dance. We love you. Because you are God for, for no other reason. That's how, that's how it is. That's, that's what the, that prayer reveals to us. And then, and then it goes on. Here's the purpose. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? That's it then. That's our God who's all majestic, the purpose that his kingdom come on the earth in all its fullness. Hallelujah. Aren't you excited about that? I, I'm, I get kind of excited about that. I tell you, this world needs the kingdom of God to come. Every nation needs the kingdom of God to come. Africa needs the kingdom of God to come. The only answer for Africa is the gospel and the kingdom coming. The only answer for any nation, the only answer for Teesside is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God coming. There isn't another one. You know, let's upset lots of social action, lots of good projects. There's a place for all of that, but in the context of the gospel being applied. If it's not in the context of the gospel being applied, it's short-termism. We need the kingdom of God to come with all the benefits of that kingdom. And it's coming. This is the kingdom referred to in Daniel's dream. It speaks of the victory of Jesus over Satan through his death on the cross and his resurrection and ascension. This book of Daniel is not always easy to understand or interpret, but one thing stands very clear for all of us to see is that God's in charge. All the way through, God's in charge. People huff and people blow. People say, I don't believe in God. Doesn't matter. 
doesn't change anything. God's in charge. People can be anti-God, anti-Christ, persecute the church. It doesn't matter. God's in charge. He will have his way. The end is not in doubt. The victory was won at the cross. It's a done deal. We celebrate that victory. So when, when we go forth as a people, we can talk to people and say, they say, I don't believe in God. And I say, well, I don't care whether you believe in God, but you know what? He believes in you and died for you. You can receive it or not, but the truth hasn't changed. Our God's amazing. Our God's wonderful, perfect, indescribable, unproclaimable. Words are not enough. He's called here in our reading the Ancient of Days. What an amazing, amazing, amazing title. See, when we look at somebody, if, I, if, I, if somebody called me the Ancient of the Days, <laughs> it would just mean I was getting very old. I had my 64th birthday while I was in Tanzania. Interestingly, Jonathan and Angela had their 25th wedding anniversary while they were in Tanzania. Such a joy to be there. We had chicken, actually, we did have, we had chicken and chips virtually every day because we really couldn't, didn't like the look of some of the other stuff, but chicken and chips. It wasn't the best chicken in the world, but the chips were okay. You can get a bit sick of chicken, but we'll just have chicken and chips because it's safer. You know, it's like that. Somebody called me the Ancient of Days. Just expect me to look very old. But when we look at God and call him the Ancient of Days, we don't mean he's very old. We don't mean he's decrepit. It means he's timeless. He's timeless. God is. He never had a beginning. He has no ending. He was before all things. All things are made by him and for his glory. He holds it all in the palm of his hand. And we're his children. Wow. Awesome God. An awesome God. The ancient of days. He has no beginning. And I, I just find that amazing. I want to read to you what it says, because I, I, again, because I, I can't better this. I'd love to see this. Don't you ever look into Bible prophecy and say, oh, I'd love to see that. Do you ever do that? Two of you. Do you ever look at, read Isaiah 6 and think, oh, I'd like to see that. You ever read Revelation and think, oh, I'd, love to, I'd like to see some of that. Well, this is what Daniel saw. As I looked, he was paying attention. The thrones were set in place. It's like, here's God in charge. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. Huh, that's an important moment, isn't it? The Ancient of Days has come. Really? <laughs> wow. Like, you know, I, I, we often pray. I, I hear people be very flippant about God and say, you know, we just, and the Holy Spirit turned up in our meeting. I, really? I didn't see anybody on their face. When God turns up, we bow down. Just have a look at Scripture. When God comes, people are on their face. Because this is Him in all His glory and majesty and splendor. He's amazing. 
His clothing was as white as snow. Wow. Perfect, awesome. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. It had wheels. I, I, it talks in, in Ezekiel about wheels on the throne. I'm fascinated by that. Because I'm an engineer. I think, wheels? Wheels? What, how, what's that? God says, shut up. <laughs> I like wheels. It's, it communicates with me. Except they're all on fire, it seems. Can you imagine the, the throne blazing with fire, flaming? It's wheels all ablaze. A river of fires flowing, coming out from before him. Wow. Listen to this. Thousands upon thousands attend him. Multiply that up. Millions. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That's what worship is. To be before God, before the throne, with all the hordes of history. All those who've ever lived. All those who've put their trust in Jesus. All those who, who, who have, have gone before us. The, the, the cloud of witnesses who've gone before. Before the Lord. All the angels before the Lord. Giving him glory and honor. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, I'd love to see that. I will. Ha. Not just yet, perhaps, but I will. And if you're a child of God, so will you. See, these are not just nice ideas. This is our glorious hope. Tied up in this being. The ancient of days. Our hope is in our God. Amazing. Amazing. And it says, the court was seated and the books were opened. Huh. Wow. I've never been to court. I won't ask if you've been. It depends what you went for, really. Um, I'm not, I don't want hands up now, like when I was in the dock. No, I, I don't. I've never been to a court, but there's something incredibly powerful and now the books are opened. These are the books of judgment. These are the books of... The, 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 the court case has happened. It's all been done. All it's worked out. Where God sits, is, he's, he's passing sentence. The books are opened. You know, it says in Scripture about our name being written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name there? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Because you need to. Because if you, to stand before a God like that, unless your name's in there, that's terrifying. But if your name's in the book, it's the safest place you'll ever know. The books are opened. And a few verses later, it says, verses 13 and 14, he says, In my vision at night I looked... There before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Ooh, I wonder who that might be. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. 
This is, this is Jesus. This, this is the, the king. This is the one who died, rose again, and now ascended back to the Ancient of Days. Ascended back to the Father, and he approaches the Ancient of Days. He comes in. And he comes in, and there's wounds in his hands and his feet. And he comes before the Father. And the price is paid. The battle won. And he comes. And it says this, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Matthew 28, 18, do you remember? Jesus commissions the church to go make disciples of all nations. He starts that by saying this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority belongs to Jesus. Our greatest need is to proclaim Christ. Our greatest number one priority is to tell people about Jesus. They need to know about the one who can save them. They need to know about the one who defeated sin and death. They need to know about the one who shed his blood for them. They need to know there's no other answer. There's no other answer. There's no other answer to this world. There's no other answer to poverty. There's no other answer to anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We proclaim Christ. We can get hung up on this and hung up on that and hung up on all sorts of stuff in life. I tell you what, the people don't need you to be hung up on all sorts of stuff. They need us to be totally hung up on Jesus. What's the hymn say? We have no other argument. We have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That's it. I make a plea. Tell people about Jesus. People get changed because you tell them about Jesus. It's a mystery. But it shouldn't be a mystery because all authority and power belongs to him. All nations and peoples of every language will worship him. As the people of God, our confidence is in God's greatness and his grace. Jesus has won the victory over death and hell and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. All authority and power belong to him and we are his forever. We cannot lose. We have many worries and many difficulties and we fret about many things and I need to say this to you and I say it carefully but I say this, lift your eyes from your problem and look at Jesus. You know, I need help. Yes, you need Jesus. Now, to proclaim Christ may mean feeding the hungry as well. To proclaim Christ means releasing ministry in Africa so that it can be fed and and can actually go and start caring for other people and be an Acts 2 people. We need to train leaders and equip leaders for all over the world, and particularly in Africa. But for those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are fully included in his victory. We're included. We've won. We start where we, we, we start where it finishes. You wake up in the morning. 
I'm free. I'm free. Sin's defeated. It has no authority in my life. I don't have any fear of death. Yeah, I'll die. Unless Jesus comes again, I'll die. This, this, this body will die. But you know what? I'll have a new one. He's coming again. I can't lose, you see. That's the gospel. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain, we proclaim Christ all over the world. We proclaim Christ all over Teesside. To our next door neighbors, to our friends, to our family, whatever the greatest need is Jesus. Because all authority and power belong to him and we are included in his victory. We have nothing to fear. Our confidence is in our perfect and most glorious God. And we look forward with increasing expectation to Jesus coming again and ushering in his kingdom in its fullness. And when that comes, every eye, every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more need, no more suffering, no more poverty. When Jesus comes, all of it will be sorted forever. Wow. Isn't it worth giving your life to him? Isn't it worth being sold out for Jesus? Isn't it worth giving your life to something that will last forever? We proclaim Christ. I say to you this morning, if, you, if you're not born again, if you've not put your trust in Jesus, do so. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I, w- I want to be yours. I want to be, I want to be a child of God. I, I want my sin forgiven. Please, will you do that for me? And you pray that prayer, and yes, you are forgiven. Yeah, you'll be on a journey then. There'll be things to learn. But don't be half-hearted, be whole-hearted. As a people, as Jubilee Church, Teesside, can I say, let's be whole-hearted in our pursuit of Jesus Pursuit of the kingdom, the pursuit of his purposes. Because that's why we're here. And I don't want to waste my effort or my time. Our God is so worthy of our praise. Let's stand, shall we? Let's pray. I wonder if the band can come back, please. Lord Jesus, we honor you as our King. We honor you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We thank you that you've dealt with sin and death once and for all. We thank you that you're now seated at the right hand of the Father and all authority and power and dominion has been given to you. Lord, we thank you that we are hidden in you. We're included in your victory. Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. We tell you that you are the king of Jubilee Church, Teesside. We tell you that we are here for your purposes. And and, and we say, God, we want to see your glory in our day. We want to see you famous in our day. We want to see you famous in Teesside. We want to see revival in Teesside. But Lord, we want to reach the ends of the earth because you're an ends of the earth God and we're an ends of the earth people. And so, Lord, we, we say, command us, use us, because we're yours. Teach us about giving. Teach us about being wholehearted. Teach us about sharing what we have. Teach us about miraculous provision. Lord, we have so much to learn. But we know this. We cannot lose with you. 
We bless your name. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your presence and your touch. Let's just worship him as we finish, shall we? I'll raise it.